What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Prison for Promise podcast, where stories of transformation and redemption unfold. I'm your host, Dr. Craig Wally, and together we're going to embark on a journey of hope and resilience as we delve into the experiences of individuals who have gone from incarceration to a life filled with promise. On this episode, we dive deep into post-incarceration community re-entry. In the realm of re-entry, there exists a warrior named Brent Bailey. Buncombe County, North Carolina, is privileged to have him as the local re-entry council coordinator. I was fortunate to have an opportunity to converse with Brent as he graciously shared his voice through the North Carolina prison system and his unwavering commitment avoid returning to incarceration. Prepare to gain remarkable insight from Brent's unique perspective on re-entry as he illuminates the essential elements required for incarcerated individuals to reintegrate into the community following their release successfully. Brace yourself for a transformative exploration of re-entry with Brent Bailey, where rejection is simply a redirection for future. You don't want to miss this episode. Now let's go. Thanks for uh, agreeing to spend some time with me on the Prison of Promise podcast, bro. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm honored to be invited. Yeah, thanks so much, man. Um, and it was, I was excited to listen to you uh the other month at the second chance um gathering here in North Carolina. What was that at? NC Works, I think. Yeah, up in Raleigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh I heard you speaking. I was like, this brother sounds like a preacher, man. <laughs> I was like, we gotta hear him. I think he can get his get this message out to really encourage folk. So again, just thanks, man. But Tell the folks who you are, man. Where you from? Oh, man. So Brent Bailey, um, I'm currently the coordinator of the local reentry council in Buncombe County, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I grew up in Winston-Salem. And so kind of how I ended up in Asheville was with reentry. So uh, I done a little over five years in prison myself, uh, was released in 2004. And back then, reentry was just kind of getting going in North Carolina. Um, I think Dennis Gaddy and some folk was having roundtables. I didn't even meet him till later on. Mm -hmm. um, the prison I was at that I was released from, uh, right before I was released a few months before a program came in, which is Project Reentry. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the pilot program. It was their first pre-release class ever. So it was just an idea just getting off the ground. I actually was in the class. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of how I was connected to reentry. Um, I completed that class and I got out. I kind of connected with them once I was released. I ended up going back to school and working and I was already married before I went in. So I had a family responsibility. So I kind of lost touch with them. And about six years later, uh, I was kind of job searching it's interesting, too, because 
the reason I was job searching, I, I had just got denied a position at Home Depot after three interviews because of my background. How about so that? The first, the first interview, it was okay. I talked to the um, person I would be working under, like that supervisor. Mm -hmm. The second one, I had to meet the store manager. And again, I done put on my application uh, what I have. I talked to them about it. They said, yeah, it's okay. It was years ago, all these things. Yeah. I get to the third interview. The HR guy come out to meet me and says that they sent the background off and it came back that they could not hire me. Uh, and I guess they was letting some third party make the decision. So after mm -hmm. three interviews, they tell me they can't hire me. And what's amazing, like it was going to be like a little part-time gig to yeah. supplement the other job I had. Right, right. So um, I'm so I'm back online looking and I see like prison reentry. And I'm like, well, this sounds like me. And it was under Goodwill. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know it was project reentry. Mm -hmm. By the time I lost contact with them over the years, they had done had some partnerships. So now it's through Goodwill, all this stuff. So I end up applying. Uh, I got called for an interview. And when I go to the interview and turn the corner, I see the woman who came into the prison like eight years prior. I end up getting a job opening a site for them up in Wilkes County. Mm. Then I transitioned from there to Asheville. And then I went from there to kind of the position I'm in now as the reentry council coordinator. Mm -hmm. And so with Second Chance Alliance, I kind of got chapter coordinator here just based off people up that way knowing me. So, and then it's like, oh, you in Asheville now, we need a chapter there and going um, that route. So that's kind of how all of that happened and who I am, so to speak. Yeah, isn't that wonderful though man how things work out man when we prepare ourselves and we walk in the right direction it is and and, and this is correct the thing is this and i tell people all the time right like i didn't come out with this vision board and this 10-year plan and yeah. all these wonderful great things all these great things happened to me and i had one goal coming out of prison uh-huh it was i ain't going back yeah so every day I got up and I said, today, when when the sun go down, I will not be in the custody of any of the 100 sheriffs in North Carolina. I'm not mm. going to be in nobody's jail tonight. And that's what drove me. And out of that, a lot of wonderful things happened. But mm -hmm. I never set out and made those the goals. And it's like you said, when you just, but I, I have prepared myself, right? Because, um, a lot of people want presentation without preparation, right? Mm -hmm. So they want to be up front. They want to be presented. They feel like they got this. And I think we see some of that sometime when we in these rooms like we in. Yes, so, sir. You know, I, I remember the guy kind of giving a testimony. And he was like, nobody this day. He's like, nah, I got out and I bumped my head. And I was drinking and driving and I was doing this and doing that. And I'm like, bro, you ain't helping yourself. And so, but yeah, just kind of doing what I need to do and preparing myself and then I just kind of bumped into these opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome too, man. But one of the things I, I heard you say, which was key, was that you were convicted or convinced and convicted in your mind that I'm not going back to prison. I ain't going back to jail. I ain't getting none of these manacles put back on my body. But nobody. But nobody. But what was, how did you know like what route you were going to take? How did you know you were going to evade or avoid or not be in predicaments where you could get arrested again? Well, it wasn't going to be an option. Like I would hear people say, well, man, I got to do what I got to do. And mm -hmm. I would flip that and say, 
you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, you ain't mm. never going to be sitting around, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. And so I just kind of flipped it that way. And again, mm. it just was never going to be an option, never going to be something I'm going to turn to. If mm. I got to struggle for a while, I'm going to struggle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in full transparency, like my conviction was conspiracy to traffic cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm in there for hustling, so to speak. And I just felt like I got a skill set there and yeah. I could transfer them skills yeah. into the legitimate marketplace and kind of make some things happen. If you're so, a real hustler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a salesman, <laughs> you know, you can sell water to a well. That's right, sir. That's right, sir. And that's so, dope stuff. And, and I think that honestly, though, like being away a little over five years, you know, that's uh-huh. five Christmases, that's five birthdays. Yeah. You know, I lost my grandmother early in that bid. Mm. And those things take a toll on you. Yeah, man. And if you if you sit down long enough, um, you know, I think you'll make up your mind like, man, I just it ain't worth it. Yeah. When you start feeling that pain and that loss. And one of the things you talked about, man, um, that I want to go back to is that prior to going to prison, you were already married and had a family. So think about that separation and that loss and the things that you missed out there. And I think too, like my incarceration kind of helped me to grow up and mature and understand what that really was. Cause like we got married young and Mm -hmm. I didn't even really understand. I I knew like, I knew like this who I wanted to be with. Right. Like I knew she was ride or die for me. And we had some things like that. And I was like, yo, I, I want to keep her and have her in my life. But I didn't really, I was 20 years old when I got married. I didn't really understand all the ramifications of that. But while being in there, I learned a lot about me and about life and about that. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming out, just kind of doing what I needed to do to repair that and mm-hmm. keep going from there. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a responsibility. And I'm like, I cannot... I can't just be getting a yo-yo in and out their life, right? So I come back, then I'm taking away and come. I'm not gonna do that to them. And and if I would have, God forbid, got locked up again, I would have told them, go, y'all, y'all, don't even worry about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still messing around in foolishness, but you, you, uh, you saw the light, so to speak. You know, in that darkest place, you were able to see the light, and you started to walk towards it. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely, man. And um, your your people do that time, which yeah, you know, they're not physically in there, but they they, they do as well. Yeah, they so feel. even like so we had a son, mm-hmm. and when I was when I got locked up, he was like four. Mm-hmm. So you know, early on, like they bring in a visit, and he didn't like it. And I was like, don't bring him back up here. Right, right, right. Yeah, he he ain't got to come here. So he his thing was like, I'd be glad when I'm nine. My daddy be home. <laughs> that's right that's right you know and i have two sons too they're 17 and 11 and when i went to prison i had a daughter who was like eight months old and by the time i got out she was going on nine that whole relationship was just dashed to the rocks and now she's like 35 i don't know her she don't know me and she don't want to know me and so i just think about you know the loss that comes with prison and some people are not fortunate enough to bounce back. Some people lose their mind, lose their relationships, lose everything. And then they come out and there's reentry services available, but they don't have the psychological, the emotional, spiritual faculties to grab hold of these things and, and restructure their lives, man. Can That's you true. can you talk a little bit about the importance of reentry services and maybe 
post-release, pre-release, and uh, yeah, just the the importance of having reentry services and maybe having a plan as well. Though I know you said I didn't have a plan other than to stay out. What's the importance of all of this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think too. I had a, a family and that network that I came out to. And even my time in prison wasn't like most people's. Like a lot of folk, they don't understand this. They're not in this life. They don't really know. They just watch the news or TV and things. And and they and the news only shows you the worst stories ever. So in I, your mind, you think, well, when they go to prison, they never getting out. But mm -hmm. the majority of people are coming out. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and I did five years, majority of people not even doing that much time. So the fact that I had that much time, it allowed me to kind of work my way through the system, make it the minimum, make it the work release, make it the home pass. All these things, they helped to transition me out as well. The average person, that's not that experience. Mm -hmm. So they might go in, let's say they there 12 months, 15 months. Some of them already don't have a family to necessarily come out to. And that's why those reentry services are really important mm -hmm. because you become that network and that support system for a lot of folk. Mm -hmm. A lot of people coming out don't even know what they need. And some of the difference between men and women, and I'm definitely just making a generalization here, is that women don't have a problem seeking services. Sometimes yeah. men have a problem saying, hey, I want some help or I need some help. And so they'll be like, well, I'm out and I'm going to just try to figure this out on my own. And mm -hmm. the only problem with that is now you left to only be able to pull from whatever knowledge you had prior to being incarcerated, mm -hmm. which is going to lead you back typically Ooh. to the life you was in. Man, that's so, heavy, man. Yeah, man, because, you know, we're trying to with reentry services, too. It's more than just uh, a lot of tangible things, right? We're trying to expose you to something different a different mm -hmm. life, different mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. a different network. So mm -hmm. you can increase that knowledge base you have because you can't live beyond the level of knowledge you have. And that's, that's just, so that's different just, options. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of folk, even when we think about incarceration and definitely black men are, are incarcerated disproportionately more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not only black men that need to be exposed to different options of different cultures. It's white guys, women, men, every, you know, everybody. And Very so um, I think cool. that's some of the importance. Now I'll say this too, because you mentioned a lot of people in there and they lose not only hope, they lose their mind. Like literally, bro, the mental illness and things of that effect. And I think it's a lot of room for growth with the reentry services to really help those individuals that are struggling with yeah. the mental health. Because yeah. what I have seen is like some people are being in prison and because they're in that environment that's very regimented, so mm -hmm. they're on their meds regularly and different things, so they get the stabilization and then they're released and they kind of left to manage that on their own yeah. and they don't. And it always leads right back to incarceration, which means the prison system is just being used as mental health institutions, so to speak. Yeah. And I think with reentry services, it's not cookie cutter. That's right. Um, it's a lot of people we serving, and so it is some kind of same things offered across the board. Mm -hmm. But case management mm -hmm. has to be work better to be case by case because. Right. People coming out need different things at different levels. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're all not the same. And, you know, one of the things you pointed out to clarify that is, you know, 
I had different family structures than a lot of people who are incarcerated. And I was able to come back out. And though you didn't say this, it was it was implied, you know, my family is able to help me with the supports that I needed to make a smooth transition or a better transition. And yeah, we know a lot of people who go to prison, they're coming from backgrounds of depravity. And, you know, they don't have much of anything that they need to sustain their lives. But that doesn't mean that they can't get it. And that's what this reentry services is about, that you're talking about, helping people find their greatness, find their potential, find their stability so that they can achieve higher things other than just being stuck on the corner, stuck in the penitentiary or in some somebody's mental health institution or something. Yeah, because like, all right, even my family. So coming out, they provide, and let's just be real, financial support. And mm -hmm. that's key. Mm -hmm. But they provided a lot more than that, right? Just yeah. emotional support, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. encouragement. And then some people come out, they don't have anybody. Yeah. Right? Because maybe that's not their first time on this rodeo. Yeah. And they done burnt some bridges or they done got older and they done lost some people. Yeah. Whatever the case is, they have no one. So that's that aspect. Some people come out, they have a family network, but it's not positive. Right. It's, it's not encouraging. Right. Like they're being encouraged to get right back into what they were doing before they went in. And mm -hmm. that's not good for people. And I've seen men come out, not want to return to that, and then start feeling guilty because they feel like they have to shun their family. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of different dynamics involved mm -hmm. in this. And mm -hmm. but what we become as anybody that is delivering any kind of reentry service. You become people's support system. Yeah. And you need to know that. Like, so when folk coming into the office, you're not just trying to run them through there like cattle and give right. them a job lead sheet and mm -hmm. a resource sheet and then mark them off as somebody served and on to the next one. Spend time with folk, talk to them, listen to them, yeah. make sure your intake process has that as a part of it. Where you delving in, asking a few questions, not so much being nosy or prying in their business, but trying to get them to just, you know, be able to use that and talk through the intake to get them to open up a little bit so that because they can share with you. And I'm gonna tell you when they're more apt to do it, when you make a, a, an attempt to reach them before they're released. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't wait just to see who get out and who comes see you. Right. Like we we kind of know kind of yeah, in reach. We yeah. kind of know who's returning to the area. Now, yeah. we we it's not 100%, but it's about 97, right? Yeah. So it's Pretty about good. 3% of people that show up we didn't know was coming. But about 97% of the folk who get out back to Bunker, we know that's where they're coming to. That's pretty good. And one of the things you talked about too, Brent, was getting to know folks, spending time talking with people, developing the relationship is what I'm hearing. And my research and my past experiences working in the field has also shown proved to me that the biggest conduit of change is the relationship that people in need have with the service provider, the relationship, the healthy relationship, man. So heavy that you drop that. And so I think folks need to know and understand that. This is not, as you said, just running people through like a cattle run. And that's the problem I found um, when I worked as a substance abuse counselor with uh, court mandated people. Um, many of the agencies wanted you to get enough people in so that you could have X amount of uh, visits to bill. You know, so it was about the dollars and cents and not about the lives that we are touching. 
It's interesting you say that about court mandated too, because our program is completely voluntary. And right. so we were having a conversation and uh, one of the superior court judges were there because the average age of our participant is 40. Mm -hmm. So we were saying, look, we know younger people are getting out. They just not coming to see us. They not reaching out because it's a voluntary program. Right. And it's a lot of reasons why. So he was like, well, maybe we should mandate it. And I, I said, no, we want folk that's motivated, not that's mandated. That's right. Because if you send me a guy that's 22, but he ain't ready yet, you wasting my time and his. And it's yours. The, it's the resources. Yeah. And then what you're going to do is attach something more punitive to him for mm -hmm. not following through on our program. And I don't want that kind of reputation in the community either. Like right. you go work with them and it don't work out, you're going to end up with more time or get more trouble and things yeah. like that. And folk so ain't when you mentioned that mandate, it reminded me of that. Yeah, and folk ain't going to come see you. And then I, you said something else, you know, then they tack on more punitive measures, which pushes people deeper in the hole and further away from reaching a successful outcome. You know, yep. yeah, I love we're not trying to do that. Like, and I'm not making excuse for anybody. Like, obviously, um, and I say it this way, like it on this earth, we uh -huh. all run in the same race, but we ain't all starting the same place. That's true. That's <laughs> some true. folks had a little head start. So that's we, we understand some of the responsibility and expectations that's going to be on me and you because mm -hmm. we black men because of skin we in. So I'm right. not making excuse for anybody. But at the same time, Brothers, they already had it rough. Why we got to be adding on more people? We need to be figuring out ways to get them out the system, right. not uh, more punishment, getting them right. deeper because you think somehow this heavy hand approach is working. Research is there. It don't work. It don't work. And we yeah. learned it at home, too, didn't we, from getting whooped yeah. beatings? They don't work. No, nah, I just try to help you uh, maybe uh, be a little more slicker, not get caught. But even to the most extreme example of the death penalty, yeah. the death penalty does not work as a deterrent for crime. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that the, the populace is being fooled into believing that heavy-handed approaches work, where we just went through they don't work. But I think at, at, the, at the underlying core of all of this is dollars and cents. Because it costs more money to run death row. It costs more money to run uh, solitary confinement, you know, then it costs more money just to put somebody in prison for that matter than to give them treatment, to help them get housing, education. You and I know this. I'm, we're two preachers preaching to each other. We ain't preaching yeah. choir, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really driven by dollars. Most death said in one of his songs back in the day, it was called Mathematics. He said, the killing fields need blood to graze the cash cow. It's a number game, but the shit don't add up somehow. Yeah. That's, that's the dope line, most definitely. Yeah, man. yeah. that's bars. It really man. brings it to light. Is that Because here's the thing, too. And nobody's ever going to admit this, but we know it's true. Uh, they need a labor force. Mm -hmm. And so if you go back to uh, the war on drugs, right, mm -hmm. and the 94 crime bill, and when North Carolina went to structured sentencing, and the incarceration rates ballooned hundreds of percent. The war on poverty, people. that was. The war yeah. on poor people. Yeah, the war on us. Yeah. And so you started, and I know this from my time in prison, because I'm in prison from 99 to 04, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of folk. Now, 
I'm out there. I'm in there for trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm distributing. I'm saying I'm seeing people in the habitual, right? Mm -hmm. They getting caught multiple times with two grams mm -hmm. of crack. If you keep catching me, I understand this other. You keep catching me with two grams. Do I sell dope or use dope? So I, I needed that treatment you were speaking of. But now you put me in prison for seven to ten years. You know what you just got? Seven to ten years of some good, pretty much free labor. Yeah. So you keep your system going. You got corrections enterprises. You got products y'all making, selling on the free market. Or crack. Women provide customer service for companies. All oh. these different things, and you 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 not paying them anything near even minimum wage. And not so it is that Thirteenth Amendment slavery being mm. not mm. abolished, but mm. uh, transformed even and mm. just moved into a different direction. And so they don't really want to admit that, but we know that's what's happening. Because if they if they just took the people who said like nonviolent mm -hmm. and let them out. Yeah, the prison system would shrink in an instant. It the majority of people in prison in North Carolina are in there for nonviolent crimes. I would even go further to say, Brent, and I haven't read the research in a while, but I would go even further to say that's across the nation in state and federal prisons. The majority of people are nonviolent. The majority of them are not the monsters, the worst case scenarios that the, the media continues to perpetuate about people who are incarcerated. You know, and that in, instead people are poor a lot of times, people are desperate, or people have had emotional meltdowns or outbursts. But most people are not monsters and most people are not violent criminals. So I'm glad you're hitting on that, man. You know, but one of the things you also mentioned um was the labor force, the free labor force. And then I want to connect it back to your earlier discussion about, you know, being denied employment from Home Depot. So I think people or industries are missing out on a large labor force here in the in the free world because they're re refusing people employment because of their criminal history, their felony history. Whereas in reality, research shows that this demographic of people are more dedicated workers. You know, these this group of people want to work. You know, yeah. and if we start giving people gainful employment, recidivism will go down. You know, arrests will go down. Again, the prisons will shrink, you yeah. know. And then so if the prisons shrink or the prison population shrink, maybe lots of people will be out of jobs, you know. And so yeah, I, and I, that I, industry, but they can find jobs elsewhere. So, yeah. Like you saying, too, I think a lot of it's rooted in stereotype and narratives as well. Mm -hmm. Because, all right, so let's say HR is making the decision on who gets hired. Right. The majority of them folk have no idea what goes on in a prison, no. what people's experiences like in prison. They, they don't know that the majority of folk getting up every day going to work. So mm -hmm. they don't know that you actually, if you hire somebody coming right out of prison, you probably get somebody with a better work ethic than sir. somebody who hadn't been. Yes, sir. And as you mentioned, you get somebody who's going to be dependable because they're going to be grateful for the opportunity because they don't have as many options and opportunities as the average Joe who's applying for some of these jobs. And the, the, the crazy part is like, they'll even lock you out of entry level, low level paying, not even paying minimum, not minimum wage, but not even paying like a living wage. Right, and they'll like, be like, but, but we can't hire you out of some fear. 
And this would always tell the HR folk. I say, well, you do know all these people that go in and shoot up the workplace and they never had no background. Mm-hmm. All so of them. Actually, you increasing the chances of that happening at your job by not hiring people who mm-hmm. already done been to prison, who got a background. And uh, in some respect, you would also be hiring some folk who ha- who already got that kind of keen awareness. Mm-hmm. And who can alert you with things kind of That's right. Because we just know. We just be knowing what be going on because we always observe. Especially if you done been in prison. If you went to prison and didn't know by the time you come out, you got that awareness. Oh, yeah. Your head on a swivel. Absolutely. It got to be. Because it's survival. Living in them places. It's survival, yeah. yeah. And those places are traumatic. And, you know, one of the things I think about is how, because prisons ain't going nowhere. So my thinking is, how can prisons become less traumatic and more focused on treating the needs of people that find themselves in prison so that when they get out, they can be additions to the community, the broader community? Well, the lawmakers would have to take a therapeutic approach and Mm -hmm. you would have to work through the initial stages. All right, anything you get started or you begin, anything in infancy, you can have to deal with immaturity. Right. So if you first if you try to make this switch, because there are industrialized, um, civilized nations who have this approach, like even I think it's like Norway, no matter what you do, the mm-hmm. max sentence you can get is 21 years because they believe during that time they have you, they can rehabilitate you. Absolutely. And they take that therapeutic approach. Mm-hmm. But you got, you got to look at the foundations of this nation. Mm-hmm. You got to look how it began. Mm-hmm. And it comes out of pain. It comes out of bloodshed. Mm-hmm. It, it comes out of punishment and punitive and mm-hmm. things to that effect. And so it would people. take it would take a lot of people with a more progressive approach. Yeah. But that's how you could make it a less traumatizing experience, yeah. more therapeutic approach. Because yeah. even the way the prisons are designed, they not design. If you in there and you have some hope, it's because you got that instilled in you. It's That's not because anything you see around you. That's true. Because yeah. they the got a design to try to yeah destroy yeah. you. Yeah, just the structure is so dehumanizing and depressing and oppressive and all that. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. And it's interesting that you mentioned Norway. Um, I'm heading out Saturday, um, over to Germany and Norway to do a wow. prison tour. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, right on. And then um, after that, um, later in, uh, no, and then January 24, we'll be going to Brazil to do a prison tour. And then we'll come back and do one in the States. You know, that's awesome, man. The hope of trying to start implementing some sort of humane treatment, you know? I got to stay connected with you too, because I like, however you're going to, when you go and you come back and you can Uh kind of post what you learned or what absolutely I need to read that and see what what that experience was. Absolutely. And so Brent, I want us to stay in touch anyway, you know, um, because we're doing the same thing. Plus, when I look at you, I see me. I see a big old bald head like mine. I see glasses like mine. I see brown skin like mine. So yeah. we need to stay in touch. And I, then- just, I can't grow the beard. That's it. <laughs> I think it's the I think it's the native in me. Could be, man. Could be. But I still see my brother, you know, yes, sir. Brother, and we are working to help our other brothers and sisters who happen to be black, brown, white, yellow, any complexion who are coming out of these carceral institutions, you know. But as we close up, Brent, one of the things I want to ask you 
is if you could go back in time and drop a jewel on young Brent, what would that jewel be? It, it would be that um, you just, you, you got to know who you are mm. and, and whose you are. Mm. Who you got to know who, who designs you and what you were designed for. Mm. Because when you don't, you will seek that information from peers. You'll seek it in places you shouldn't. And mm. you'll be looking for this validation and acknowledgement that you can only get from God himself, if you mm. ask me. And mm. so it's really one of the things I would drop on young Brent is mm. that a lot of this approval and acceptance you seeking from people in, in 15, 15 years, mm. one, you won't even know what them people are. And two, you wouldn't care nothing about whether they accept you or approve you because now you're going to know who you are and you're going to know why you are and all these different things. And that's what's going to uh, lead you to ultimate success. And success is not defined by uh, material possessions and bank accounts and things that affect. I always tell people success is this. Success is the root word in succession. Mm. And succession is when things come in a row. Mm -hmm. Successful people are people who are prepared for what's coming next. Mm. And that's where I am. Right on, man. That's heavy, bro. I really enjoyed our time chatting today, man. And I definitely don't want to uh, let too much time pass before we chop it up again. You know, um, another question um, I have for you is if you could capture your journey from as early as you can remember to right now, capture it in a catchphrase or title, what would it read? It's not rejection, it's redirection. Oh, man, you just been dropping heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff on me, man. Yeah, I I'm really excited I, about this. I enjoyed this time, too. But, yeah, honestly, honest, it, it's not rejection, it's redirection. It, mm -hmm. Even though it was no, it's ultimately going to get you to your yes. Yeah, man, that's true. And so if I could go back real quick to a couple of things you dropped on, on me. Um, and first I was thinking about um, when you were talking about, I think the the knowledge or, or, or the jewel you dropped on yourself, it made me think about um, a story I heard about people who were going to the gold rush back in the days, the San Francisco gold rush. And um, this person had a piece of property and they saw people going and coming from the gold rush you know, so they wanted to partake in the gold rush. So they sold all their property and went to where people were prospecting for gold, spent up all their money, ended up broke, didn't find any gold. They're coming back away from the gold rush. They walk past their old property. And don't they know somebody had set up on their property and found gold? They hit pay dirt right on that property, you know. And so the information we seek is often right in our own yard, in our own head. In our own heart, we just have to know ourselves, which really? ties me into another point, which was, you know, this is ancient wisdom you share. Some of the most brilliant civilizations on the earth, face of the earth uh, proposed that, particularly the Egyptians above the mystery temples on all of the, the doorways of the mystery temples. It, they had was said to have an inscription that read, man, know thyself. This was the first tenet of all knowledge. You know, so just, you know, I love how this is coming full circle. Yeah. Full circle. It, even like with mental health, 
like health, be healthy men. Healthy, healthy is two words, right? Heal thy. Mm. And so you got to focus on you. I tell guys and women coming out, like, I'm never going to tell you to ultimately be a selfish person, but for these next 90 days, you can be selfish. You That's got right. permission to be selfish. You got permission to care about nothing but you and what you need and how you need to be established and set yourself up. Because I need you to be in the most healthy place possible. Because a lot of times people come out and they have a little guilt complex because they got so many things they want to do for their family and mm -hmm. things they want to prove to people and all of that. But you can't do it if you're not in a healthy place. That's so, true. Like know thyself. And that's what I tell them for them. You get to, you got to get to know you mm -hmm. and be honest about who you are. Be well, you can't about why you are. Be honest. You, you got to be honest with yourself. Huh? You got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. You yeah. can't be anything else. Right. And honestly, it, it tends to you being authentic and transparent with other people. When you honest with yourself, a lot of folk are always trying to get over and, and get by and, and get around, you'll never get ahead. That's and right. Because you, you're not even, you always try to trick somebody else because you're really trying to trick yourself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when you said that, know that it just, it, it kind of sparked that in me because you do have, that's, that's the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. Ain't yeah. nothing else going to manifest great for you if you- oh, Marley sang his song, Mar Marley sang a song back in the day, uh, Running Away. And in the song, you know, he said, but you can't run away from yourself. No, you can't run away from yourself. It yeah. starts and ends here. Yeah, Every like how many people even work in reentry? Do you work talk to or whatnot? And they'd be like, well, I just can't go back there because if I go there, this will happen. So I need to go somewhere different. And listen, I understand that, but I tell folks, wherever you go, you're gonna be there when you get there. That's right. You take yourself with you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, so you got to change this first. Yes. Yeah. Your mind and, and I think people don't understand when when you change this. Mm -hmm. change everything yeah you know there was a dude uh brent he wrote a book and i think he pulled it from the proverbs it was his name was james allen i think he wrote it back in like 1903 or something it was called um as a man thinketh yeah my mama bought me that book when i was like a kid yeah yeah Heavy as book. a man thinketh than his heart so is he yeah and that comes out of proverbs i think that's a proverbs statement yeah yeah it is I think the man was informed by by the proverbs when he wrote this book but heavy book bro heavy book but look we're coming up on the end and so before we check out i need to know and the folks who are going to be listening to this podcast need to know how can they contact you if they need to contact you or they want to contact you or put their people in touch with you yeah man brent bailey um it's brent.bailey at buncombecounty.org. That's my email. That's the best way to really get in touch with me. I don't, I don't really have a social media presence, so to speak. And part of that is to remain mentally healthy on yes, my sir. end. Yes, um, I got a lot of folk I deal with. And so uh, I got to try to do that in the most objective way possible, not just at work, but in my personal life and outside of that and other things I do. And so I don't be wanting to see a lot of stuff online that's going to uh, have me prejudiced in my encounters with folks. Um, so really, Brent.Bailey at BuncombeCounty.org is the best way to uh, get in touch with me. Right on, man. And with that, I'm going to call it a wrap, brother. I'm going to say peace. All right. I appreciate it, man. Peace to you, man. Be safe travels on your journey, bro. Thank you, man. Hey, what's up? This is Dr. Craig Wally. I just wanted to say 
Thank you for rocking with me here on the Prison of Promise podcast. If you know someone who would like to share their story here on the Prison of Promise podcast, and that someone might be you, please hit me up at D-R-C-R-A-I-G-W-A-L-E-E-D at gmail.com. That's Dr. Craig Waleed at gmail.com. 